What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, Jaw Raffs, of course. We've got Jays we got for days. Josh, how you doing? We're officially in the nobody is that much better than everybody else. So who knows what's going to happen portion of this season. That was obviously how we felt coming in, but I feel like yesterday reinforced that. That there's just no, there is no reason to be all that confident in any team that takes the court from this point forward. <laughs> yeah, it's about right. And I feel like we kind of do these circles over and over again throughout the season. And at some point we always, you know, it, it's just kind of like a circle of life thing almost. And then we get back to the, okay, right. They're just like, nobody's truly, truly elite, like that kind of thing. And, but there are usually teams that you, not that they always win, but you go, that's kind of the team to beat heading into the tournament. Well, right, right. It does. It, it doesn't always, it, the, the cycle doesn't always look the same but we always come back to the same point. Sure. Like everybody knew Kansas was the best team in the country last year. And we eventually got back to that point. Mm-hmm. At least, at least for me, that was the case. Um, but yeah, and, and, and I think we'll talk about it here in just a second, but also a combination of, for me yesterday was like Somebody's going to win this thing. I kind of feel like there's a team that, that is still in it that I don't think is going to win this thing that would be the front runner if they were healthy. And and you saw from you saw stints from both Alabama and Houston, the two two the two number one seats that are still alive on this Sunday morning. That you know, you saw why there were one seeds for points of the game and you also saw why those two teams are also are also beatable under the right circumstances and um and kansas was not one of those teams that survived yesterday arkansas i saw someone tweet that it should be it should be kansas now instead of can like it was the battle to see how you pronounce the end of kansas so it's oh. arkansas it should be kansas for the for the for the foreseeable future <laughs> Instead of until Kansas beats Arkansas, I thought that was really funny. Um, very, very clever, right up my alley in terms of, in terms of, in terms of comedy. But uh, seventy-two, seventy-one, the Arkansas Razorbacks over the Kansas Jayhawks yesterday. Josh, listen, a lot of this season has been about when is Nick Smith going to be healthy. Like, is this Arkansas team ever going to be healthy? And the thing that has been consistent for all 35 games that Arkansas has played is that Ricky Council the fourth and Devo Davis are there night in and night out. And yesterday that was the case again. 46 combined between the two of them. Ricky Council wasn't great from the field, but he was 10 of 11 from the free throw line. And Devo Davis, 25 points, six rebounds, excuse me, eight rebounds. And he was nine of 15 from the floor. They were 16 of 18 from the line combined. And uh, in a night that Nick Smith played 16 minutes and was 0-4 from the field, the Arkansas Razorbacks sent a number one seed home. Yeah, it, it was kind of nice. I had that exact thought when, oh, who was it? Was it when Jordan Walsh fouled out, I think? And... <laughs> 
where's my right? This is you know shorthanded team. Where's Musk going? Oh, Nick Smith's gonna come back in. Not a bad option. Obviously, yeah, he had a a rough go of it overall. But that's the luxury you have when you've got a team that's assembled this way and he's now available. Is there are nights you don't actually need him. And then you get to throw him into the mix. And then, you know, in the Sweet 16, he could go be the one to, to drop 25. It is one of the nice mm-hmm. things about this team is they got three guards that can give you 25 on any night. Has it happened all season? No. Has it always been efficient? No. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the stars align. Yeah, you got to... A terrific second half from Devo Davis. And also want to give a shout out to Jordan Walsh for what he did defensively on Jalen Wilson. It was kind of the opposite of what we've been talking about for Kansas. Where it wasn't that Wilson got 35 and nobody else scored. It was that Wilson was kept in check. Nobody else was terrific. They were fine. You know, on another day they win this game, obviously. It was close. Arkansas had to rally. But you give yourself a chance when you keep Jalen Wilson in check. And Jordan Walsh is one of the few players in the country with the defensive ability to do that. And, you know, his he was getting tipping. The, he had a huge tip. He was just all over the place. He's not going to score you a million points. But on this team, he doesn't have to. He made a really big impact as well. They just played a really good game that obviously we've been talking about forever. They're capable of. And they got it on the right night. And here they are. The must bus is back in the Sweet 16. Yeah, you know, I all that said, Jalen Wilson got twenty points on nine shots. <laughs> you know, he's he's a handful for sure, and it wasn't even a, you know, KJ Adams four of eight, Jalen Wilson five of nine, Grady Dick didn't have a great game, just three of nine, but Dewan Harris Jr. five of nine, Kevin McCuller five of eight. Like the 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 starting five for Kansas had a very efficient a very efficient game, and and apart from KJ Adams playing only 26 minutes, but only that's, that's still plenty of minutes. Um, the other three guys, they all played at least 35. So there was lots of leaning on the starting five in this game and they got basically nothing from, from the bench. Bobby Pettiford jr. Had played seven minutes and scored two points. And Joseph Yusefu had three points in eight minutes, but but yeah, you know, it hasn't quite looked the way like when Jalen Wilson has had twenty points and a Kansas loss this year, it typically looks more like five of seventeen mm-hmm. or, or or six of fifteen. And and that wasn't the case tonight. It was just, you know, nobody like you said, he was all that Arkansas could handle because he's all that anybody can handle. And but the rest of the rest of Kansas, nobody was spectacular and Grady Dick didn't have his best of games. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about real quick is this is the kind of game and I'm not making excuses because it's the NCAA tournament. You just can't take anything for granted. This is the kind of game that getting taken out of that two seed for reasons I will never understand and getting moved out of Kansas City is a big deal. Not only in terms of the of, you know the actual location and the ability of your fans to travel, but also the fact, as I as we talked about when the bracket came out, that you got stuck with Arkansas in round two, as mm-hmm. opposed to Auburn. I look, you got to beat whoever's in front of you. It's not like Kansas was going to win the national title if they got put into the other bracket. I'm not saying that. 
but these are the kind of mar- what I am saying is these are the kind of margins that matter in this tournament. And I really that was something I couldn't stop thinking about watching this is yes, Arkansas did everything they needed to. You got a bad matchup and you and you got it in a a less than advantageous environment. After we spent all season talking about how they have way more quad one wins and played the best schedule in the country and had the most complete resume and all this stuff and still ended up as the three. I I do want to bring that up in this conversation as Kansas season's Kansas's season ends. And I will respectfully say when the games that are in front of you. Right. It's and the that's, same thing that's, that Calipari said. Because Calipari for four for four years straight complained about how they never got a good draw in the NCAA tournament. Like, and there is and no it's a thing. little different because, right, A, there's no such thing, and B, like, you have a little bit more chops in the conversation when you went 28 and, or whatever they ended, 25 and 7 or whatever it actually was in the regular season. And, and you're, you have all these quad one wins and you're a one seed instead of Calipari complaining about the four seed route that they got. Right. So it's a little bit different, but... Yeah, I. That's one of those things that once this once the bracket is out, like I'm just like, it's an observation, but one that like every coach is gonna have a. And that's the other thing. The coach thing could have been, that's a possibility. Yeah, that too. Um. But, but yeah, it is it is unfortunate, but also there. Everyone gets unfortunate at one point or another in the in the in the, in the, ooh, in the NCAA tournament. Right, it, it's the way it's built. Yeah, I, it just might. It, I, I just there's an argument that that made the difference in this game. That doesn't mean that it's you know the NCAA is colluding against is out to get Kansas or something like that. But mm-hmm. thought it was worth mentioning because you know to, it was it was a game that came down to a possession. Arkansas made the plays and. You and I were kind of talking about this, this idea of everybody at Arkansas must – Devo Davis is saying, we figured it out. We figured it out. <laughs> and the results didn't exactly suggest that. Mm-hmm. But clearly they feel very good about where they're at. And I, we're to the point you just have to pick Arkansas to make the Sweet 16. It doesn't matter what – it doesn't matter. You just have mm-hmm. to put them in there. Because they find a way. We got to start Very talking true. about Eric Musselman is the best NCAA tournament coach in the country. I mean, you can't. No, you, nobody gets to be that guy until they make a Final Four. Respectfully, if Matt fair, Painter fair. is going to get the crap that he gets, then M- Eric Musselman isn't the best coach in the NCAA tournament if he's not been to a Final Four. I won't entertain there's, there's that. A, there's a difference between best coach in the tournament and best NCAA tournament coach. Please elaborate. You just said there's a difference between best coach in the tournament and best coach in the NCAA tournament. You just added a adjective. No, no, no. Best coach in the tournament and best tournament coach. Please As elaborate. The ability to maximize your roster in March. Nobody does it better than Musk. And Musselman hasn't been to a Final Four, so that can't be correct. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. But we're not there. So we don't have <laughs> yeah, to have that conversation yet. We're not yet. there yet. 
Because this, this is also the team that you texted me and said if they were healthy, they're the best team in the country. Sure, but that doesn't mean that Musselman is the best coach in the tournament or coach yeah, tournament coach whatever whatever you want to call it cuz right there is a, there is a skill to being able to get everything and it's probably bill self at this point i'd have to do some thinking about but that is, that is a skill that must has is that no matter what happens sure. they and there aren't a lot of coaches that can say that that's the gist of what i'm getting at sure but there are coaches that have been to a final four and sure, all of yeah, them, yeah. in the in the way that we talk about college basketball coaches, every single one of those coaches is higher on that list than Musk for me right now. Every single one. Because that's how we talk about that. Because we'll turn around and crap on Matt Painter for 25 minutes because he hasn't been to a Final Four. Right. And I Not because anybody actually thinks he's a bad coach. It has nothing to do with your coaching ability. Zero. Absolutely nothing. Nobody actually thinks Tom Izzo is a bad coach, but they give him crap in the Final Four all the time. Nobody actually thinks Bill Self is a bad coach, but it was kind of like, okay, Bill Self, when are you going to win another one? Yeah. that's a, The NCAA tournament conversation is it has nothing to do with coaching abilities. It has to, to do with winning four games in a row. Uh, I, we'll have to talk more about this off air. That's I, fine. Th- to me, there is... It's not everything. Nobody, but there is not a, a single person has said that Matt Painter is a bad coach, but still he's under the fire more than anybody, any coach in the country right now because he can't go deep in the tournament. Right. So what's your point with that? That being a good coach is not the thing that we're talking about when we're talking about the best NCAA tournament coaches. Right. We're which talking is what about I've been saying the whole time. No, you just said, hey, the coach, you just said Musselman has the ability to get his team into the – to be playing the best in March. That's being a good coach, not being good at winning four games in a row. Well, I disagree with that. We'll have to, we'll have, to have more in-depth conversation on this. Uh, Arkansas is headed to the Sweet 16, and Matt Painter's a good coach. Eric Musselman's yes. a good coach. And, we can agree on that. And But Eric Musselman is nowhere near the best coach in the NCAA tournament because he hasn't been to a Final Four, and we just decide that's not a part of the conversation. Uh, Tennessee, 65-52. Um, they walked in to the East Region second round against the Blue Devils and, and punched Duke in the mouth. And Duke stumbled for the better part of the rest of the game, scored 52 points, and the team that was absolutely rolling came to a screeching halt against a team without their best offensive play. Yeah. Uh, if you would have told me I had to pick one of two things to happen, all three, one seeds to lose or Tennessee to win, I would have picked all three, one seeds to lose. That's how confident I was. Duke was going to win this game. And then Tennessee hit threes and played Tennessee defense. And here you are. And this this pathway is fascinating. Obviously, Tennessee does not know its opponent at the time of recording this Sunday morning. Um, if I'm Dusty May, I'm looking at this thing saying there is a path to the Elite Eight here. There is a – FAU may be the biggest beneficiary of this. And also, Tennessee is looking at this going – we should beat whoever we get in the next round, and then it's one game to the Final Four. Right, despite the fact you don't have Zakai Ziegler, despite the offensive shortcomings, which 
the other part of this is okay you got to assume that game is coming at some point but it certainly wasn't this one they were more than good enough they hit their threes and they were phenomenal defensively this is one of those games that just defies all logic whatsoever and it's the beauty of march and congrats to tennessee <laughs> yeah um you know i i i like i, I i'm not i'm not going to pick tennessee to win another game in this tournament they they can win the national championship i won't be there to pick them to do I, it I, because FA, like i still FAU, like yeah. i still wasn't impressed like they punched a duke team in the mouth that thought they were tough and wasn't tough yeah. And they didn't know how to. They didn't know how to respond. At one point, you're like, under at the under eight area of the first half, they just ran this montage of Tennessee running through the Duke players, like it was. You know, Filipowski got the cut under his eye. You know, we can talk about whether or not Tennessee has some some iffy um, some iffy uh, you know strategy when it comes to you know some you know, a dirty elbow every once in a while, but I'm not exactly interested in that conversation, but they clearly were, they clearly were like, we don't think this Duke team is that tough and we're going to make them prove to us that they're tough. And they weren't, uh, they weren't totally able to do it. No. The other thing is, is like, like I understand when I watch Derek Lively, why he's an NCAA, why he's an NBA prospect and why Derek Lively will be a first round draft pick in in June's NBA draft. Like I get it. But I'm not going anywhere in the vicinity of a guy in the first round who can't score points in an NCAA tournament game. Like like that guy's offensive game is so non-existent unless he's catching a lob. Yep. That it's 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 crazy town. It it really is. Like I don't I don't understand how like he's going to get drafted and he's going to have the exact same issues that James Wiseman is still having to this day because he has no idea what he's doing offensively. And he might have, you know, James Wiseman came into the league and was completely lost on offense. I mean, he's got and he, me, on defense he was, even. Um, yeah, which which maybe is the maybe the difference that I – there are things Lively does that I like better than Wiseman, but Wiseman could at least score and produce points consistently in college. Yeah. And, yeah, Lively can't do that. Lively's not he didn't take a shot in this game. Yeah. So and respectfully, when you're a seven footer in college, the only way that you don't take a shot in a basketball game in a college basketball game is if you don't if you don't have any interest in taking one. Um so we'll see what actually ends up with with him and with the type of NBA player that he ends up being. But you you couldn't pay me to take him in the first round higher than twenty seventh. You just couldn't. Cause for some reason, big men just kind of we don't we like we get sw- swept off our feet by mobile defensive bigs, and like you know, like this super athletic six seven guy. But oh, like, is his shot going to develop? Is his right. shot going to develop? But we never ask that question around the draft when it comes to a big guy like Derek Lively. And then it gets to year four, and it's like, hmm, Derek Lively, maybe he should develop a shot. Well, we knew that that was the case when you guys drafted him, but didn't seem to matter. Um, but yeah, sixty-five, fifty-two, Tennessee beat Duke. Um, the other highlights: uh, Derek Whitehead, three of six. Um, uh, Proctor and Jeremy Roach in the backcourt. 
uh, along with Kyle Filipowski, did the overwhelming majority of the shot taking in this game. I think they took 40 of the 49 shots that, that Duke that Duke took in the game. And, uh, and they're going home. Tennessee moving on to play the winner of FDU versus FAU, like everybody expected. And uh, like you said, no matter, no matter who wins that game, uh, Tennessee should, should be batting their eyes at, a, at, at the very least in, in the lead eight appearance. And I okay. guess the real winner in all this is Marquette. <laughs> it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Assuming that Marquette gets through their game today which right. i don't expect them to to stumble in okay um a couple a couple things left here uh in the tiger bowl the number 15 princeton tigers got out early um it was one of those things that i was getting around to to, to flipping on that game to keep an eye on it and the first time i looked it was 31 or 33 to 21 in in favor of princeton and it never got it might have never gotten closer than that. It it it, it, was, it certainly got yeah, worse maybe, than that maybe at times. Ten or eight, but it certainly yeah, got it, worse it, than that at times. Yeah. The the halftime score was thirty three twenty six, so that was probably the closest that it got after that. And then uh, Princeton scored forty five points in the second half and ended up beating Missouri by fifteen and didn't sweat past the under twelve timeout of this game. Yeah, awfully impressive. The thing I want to give Princeton credit for is you look at the two teams that they've had to play to get here, right? Super tall, big, athletic Arizona, the kind of athletes you can't recruit at Princeton. And then, and obviously Arizona's a fast-paced team too, but right – then you get the smaller, up-tempo, three-point shooting, spread you out, play really, really fast, offensively gifted, more one-dimensional team that's not going to physically impose their will on you the way Arizona does with the best two bigs in the country. And, yeah, the Arizona game was close, but they've looked comfortable with both. They got a very different set of players to have to prepare for with this Missouri team. And from a Missouri standpoint, it's pretty simple. When you shoot the three that poorly, you're in big trouble. <laughs> Not to mention getting out rebounded by 14 and giving up 16 offensive rebounds. Right. And from a physical, yeah. And, and Princeton was excellent defensively and right. Just dominated all of those kind of the, yeah, the boards, the physicality setting the tone of the game was a hundred percent Princeton. There, there just isn't much to say because they were that much better, which is the best compliment you can give. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ryan Langborg, Langborg, Lang, Langborg, twenty-two, six, and four. Caden, Caden Pierce, nine points, sixteen rebounds, seven of them on the offensive end. Yeah, they were just better. Yeah, shot the ball well. Yeah. And like and like Missouri is kind of one. Missouri is like the like dollar general version of Alabama in that sense. Right. That mm -hmm. when they don't shoot it well, they're not going to play well. Except they don't have multiple first round prospects on their roster, right? Like, and right. For probably the most talented player in college basketball this year. 
and they're not that that makes your that makes your margin of victory just just a little yeah it's also not not great defensively but that makes your margin of error a little slimmer than than that of 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 Alabama and Alabama team that came out tight i think that was that was pretty obvious and uh but loosened up throughout the game ended up winning the game 73-51 over Maryland Maryland's offense was about what you expected it to be after what we saw against the against West Virginia it kind of went dead for points of that game and went dead for a lot of this game as well but when Dante Scott is 0 of 7 from the field you only make one three and um Javon Quinterly has 22 on 9 of 14 shooting those three things combined uh, will typically end up in a lopsided win for Alabama and that's what you got yeah and you were talking about kind of this is one of those games they just need to find a way to win because they're not shooting the ball great, and boy did they ever. And then you know Quinterly hit some threes in the second half and they pulled away. Brandon Miller was much better, not that he was spectacular from an efficiency standpoint, but he looked like himself again. They are awfully good. They're the one team out there that I still. I'm open to the possibility of if they win this thing, you look back and you go, that really was the best team in the country. They're the only team left on that list for me. And who else was actually... on that list for you? I'm curious. Was, was there anybody on that list for you other than Alabama? I mean, Kansas could have. And... I mean... Maybe Purdue. Just because yeah, I feel like the Purdue thing would have had to have included Edie. Yeah, like yes, it would have it been, been more about it would have been more about that guy. Really was like there was Brandon Miller and there were some other really fun guys, but like Edie was definitely the best player in the country, kind of thing. Like because if they were gonna win yes. it, he was gonna average like thirty and nineteen in the run. Like right, that was I can't happen. I can't sit here after saying that Matt Painter overachieved with that team, and at some point the talent discrepancy comes back to hurt you because they on paper aren't a top four team, top five team in the country, and then sit here and say, well, they were deserving national champions if they won. Sure. So, sure. yeah, it would have been it would have been about Edie. And, that, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I guess it's more about eliminating Houston from that and having and eliminating Kansas from that than anything else. Fair. Um, yeah, 6 of 21 from the three-point line. It's very, it's very uh, reasonable to say that that'll be the worst that Houston, I mean, excuse me, Alabama shoots in, in the tournament. And for me, that was the, that was always going to be the question: Do they, you know, whatever their worst shooting game is, does that does that get them? And Maryland's a pretty good team to try to score enough points against um, in a game that you don't shoot well. Like if I had to pick a team on my run to do it, then Maryland's probably one of those teams. And and they were able to get it done. I will say that that it's going to be really really hard to beat Houston if they play like they did last night. 81-64 against Auburn. Um they scored 50 points in the second half. Shreyman Mark 26 and 9. Jamal Shedd was was fine in this game, not spectacular. I every time I watch Jarris Waller, I Walker, excuse me. Um, I feel more. I'm more and more excited about him as a as an 
NBA prospect. He oh, just yeah. like moves like an NBA prospect. Yep. Marcus Sasser, 22 and on seven of 14 shooting, 41% from the field. Um, it's not like they were spectacular. They got to the free throw line 29 times. Um, it could have been a little better, but I came away from, from that Houston game really appreciating the bounce back, first of all, um, yep. from from the struggles against Northern Kentucky. It is I mean, Marcus Sasser might be the most important player in the country um, relative to the ceiling of his team. He just completely changes the way that they look offensively and the way they just function. And, but I came away from last night thinking like, okay, that's the tie. That's the, the Houston performance that if they get that four more times, that, that they can win a national championship. Oh, absolutely. And the other part of this too, Yes, having Sasser back really helped. This game also turned, for the most part, after Sasser and Shed both picked up foul four early in the second half. And the backup guards, well, then Tremont Mark came in and hit a bunch of shots in a row. And then the backup guards just lived at the free throw line because Auburn could not stop them. That is an incredibly important development and always the struggle I have with this Houston team. Because, yeah, whether it's Jairus Walker, whether it's Tremont Mark, you can go down the list of the guys outside of Sasser. It's not like they they can't score. Sometimes, and even the first half, they just they were bad offensively. But on the right day, when they have it going, Sasser doesn't need to be the most important per- player in the country. It's not like he needs to score 25 for them to win. But when he doesn't play well and the rest of them don't play well, they're in big trouble. It has to be one or the other. They got both in this game, but the 17-point the win came in large part because of the backup guards, which is a real credit to specifically Tremont Mark, who was probably the best player on the floor, at least in the second half. He absolutely was. That's a really good sign. And like you said, just right, the, the bounce back to not get discouraged about what happened in the, the last round, to have Sasser look like he's at least fairly healthy, get him some extra rest heading into your next difficult set of games against better teams. It was, it was awfully impressive. Right. The question is, can you do it four more times? Because my thing with Houston is I know they're capable of doing that. Did they do it too early? You know, because if you're scoring 65 points in the next two rounds, you're probably not getting to the final four. But if you're scoring 72 against a little bit better defense, absolutely, because of what they can do defensively. Yeah, and I don't totally understand why that's a hesitation with Houston. Like, can they win? Like, can they put together those performances often enough? Like, just generally speaking? I mean, that's a team that went to the Final Four last year. Went to the, or sorry, to the Elite Eight last year. Right. To the Final Four the year before. Didn't and there was no tournament in twenty. They went to the Sweet Sixteen the year before that, losing to Kentucky. I just like don't understand because I, I think you're right. It's not that I even necessarily disagree with you. I just think it like th- this is the exact same type of Houston team that we got last year, and they made it to the Elite Eight, and it's the same team that they had the year before, and they made it to the Final Four. Right. But there is some there is a level of of hesitation there that I think is that I think is interesting more than anything else because they've just kind of proven that 
they can get to a Final Four playing that way and not have to be but, that spectacular offensively. Yeah, and I just picked the next two games as an example. To me, it's about the four, which is what I've been saying sure. from the beginning, right? Sure. That sure. until they actually get past a Final Four and put those last two games together against, in theory, two of the best teams you're going to play and two of the best teams in the country playing really well to act to, to be able to actually get to a Final Four and get to a national championship, that's where can they do this four more times as opposed to – or yeah – as opposed to two more of these, one more fine performance, and another Northern Kentucky. Sure. Because we're, we're – I said this before. We're talking about this in the context of winning a national championship, not reaching a Final Four. Because like you said, there is trustworthy – and this game is a reminder. There is trustworthy a team as any in the NCAA tournament in terms of doing mm-hmm. what they're supposed to. They don't lose to bad teams. The next step is can you beat the best teams when it matters the most? Relative, of course, Maryland certainly not bad, but right, 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 right. In the context of the to, NCAA, to, to getting to out, getting to the second fans. weekend, <laughs> right? Yes, that was not that was not some ricochet shot, right? In terms no, he, of getting he, to the second weekend, getting to an elite eight, final four, yeah. Um, you know, if you told me, Josh, that the that Penn State was gonna, and this is the the last big thing on the docket here, and then we'll get out of here. If you told me that Penn State was going to go eight of twenty-eight from the three-point line, I would have guessed a much a, a much lengthier yes. deficit to Texas than a seventy-one sixty-six loss. I have no watching this game. I just had no clue how Penn State kept it as close as they did. No clue. Mm-hmm. It was they they're playing really well, and Michael Shrewsbury is an awfully good coach, mm-hmm. and Texas found a way to survive, which makes me feel even better about Texas as a national championship. And I mean, yeah, they shot 41% from the field, worse than Texas. They held Texas to 1 of 13 from 3. I guess that's the, if you're looking at something as to how they stayed in this game, it was that, that Texas couldn't shoot the ball, which is also yeah. a credit to Texas's, you know, Texas doesn't need to shoot the ball because they, and the other part of this is you got Penn State's, uh, defensive vulnerabilities and lack of size exposed in the form of yeah. 28 and 10 from Dylan DeSue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that helps. Yeah. 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 The, the big 10 teams will throw Northwestern in there too. Very, very admirable performances came incredibly close and ultimately just lost out in the final minutes to the better teams. Yeah. You do get some, you do get some, some more big 10 teams in action today. So we'll see how, we'll see how those things go. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything else from last night's games? UCLA beat Northwestern 68-63. I, I didn't think there was a ton to talk about there. UCLA just kind of – I like I didn't ever feel like that game was especially in question. Um, the the deficit – Northwestern just never went away. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. I just felt like the other the better team was in control for mm-hmm. the for all forty minutes, even though the final score was was relatively close. Yeah, yeah, and then really disappointed in the showing from Furman. I thought we were going to get a terrific game, and uh, yeah, that was not a terrific game. Yeah, San Diego State Sandy- represent the Mountain West. It's been a rough go for the Mountain West. But San Diego State, you know, two difficult teams. Everybody was picking the College of Charleston. I picked College of Charleston, and San Diego State said, hi, we'll take our Sweet 16 spot. Thank you very much. There you go. 
Well done. Well done to the Aztec. Okay, last order of business before we get out of here is you have to pick your favorite game for today. Ooh. My favorite game. Oh. Oh, this isn't particularly difficult. Oh, mm. No, this isn't particularly today. difficult. Gonzaga TCU. Okay. okay. I am disappointed I like this is the late game. I am very I'm not surprised. I'm very sad. Like just because you want to go to be bed. Tired. Yes. You just want to go to bed. <laughs> it was I looked at this morning, I went, Oh right, I have to stay up for this. To me, that's the the best combination of teams, two teams that can still the only well, Kentucky, Kansas State, maybe you can make an argument, but you ask me which pair of teams can make a final four, especially with Kansas being out. TCU's gotta be looking at this. If we can get through this one, we've got ourselves a shot. Yeah. It's it's opening up and I've already talked about how I feel Gonzaga's going to do in this tournament. So to me, that is, and Creighton, I mean, Creighton Baylor, the, the three sixes, I'm absolutely in love with because I love this season's three six seeds. But if I had to pick one, TCU Gonzaga. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's probably the, the correct answer to the question. I don't, I don't really know. This is kind of a, like, like I, I kind of like all of these games. I don't especially care. Oh, that's what I was going to say. I was I, I I blanked on something. Big day for the Ball Arena. If you have tickets to the Ball Arena South Region second round session today, or just the the second session today, are they all in the South Region? Right? No. There's there's Ball Arena games from the West Region and the South Region today. Like, cause you get Creighton and Baylor, and then your 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 dessert, your second course is TCU Gonzaga. It's not yeah. bad. It's not bad. Um, I will say if Baylor is really favored by one still, which is what it says on ESPN, and I haven't looked at the actual sports books, I'm running to pick Creighton. That's all I'll say. But I, but I think that's probably the thing, the, the game I'm, I'm most looking forward to is the Creighton Baylor okay. game. I'll go with that one. I'll go with that one. UConn St. Mary's is very intriguing. They're I mean, all yeah, intriguing. How about that? Yeah, you've you've got the Sean Miller connections and the fact that. You know, the the just the Xavier aspect of a game. It's a game a three seed should win, and an eleven seed trying to get to a Sweet Sixteen. Mm. You got the five, the four fives, the six threes that are high high profile programs or programs having terrific seasons, and then Michigan State Marquette. Which again, look if if Michigan State wins this game, who knows what happens in that bracket? <laughs> and then. Of course, FDU, FAU, which you just gotta, you gotta love that one too. Alrighty, anything else? No, let's go watch some more basketball and then talk about it. More basketball. We'll be back tomorrow morning to talk about all, all the, all the things, and then uh, take a look at the Sweet Sixteen. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the J Straits Podcast. Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, all of those fun things. And uh, we'll see you in about 24 hours from now. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you.